and I was uh, brought up in Soviet Union and that's a very different kind of world. So it's a country where uh, entrepreneurship was illegal, personal growth was frowned upon. So very pragmatical, very skeptical and very non-entrepreneurial. It's the experiences you have. It's, you know, renting a boat and taking a, a ride through the coast or taking a parasailing trip or going on a tour excursion to see dolphins or whales. Like these are the experiences that you remember from a vacation, not necessarily your hotel. Altruist creates at-home volunteer and impact projects for kids and families. 90% of people say that they want to volunteer and only about a third of us get around to doing so. This is Richard Gerhardt from Passage to Profit. You just heard from some of our guests. They were fantastic. Stay with us for more Passage to Profit. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart. Welcome to Passage to Profit, the show that's all about entrepreneurs, small businesses, and the intellectual property that helps them flourish. Unfortunately, my beautiful, lovely wife, co-host Elizabeth Gearhart, can't be with us tonight. She's got the dreaded COVID germ. So Kenya, I would like to propose to you and ask you, Will you be my co-host? Oh, I'm happy to be your co-host, and I hope I do an okay job. Those are, big, <laughs> those are big shoes to fill, Elizabeth, so I'm honored. I'm sure you'll just be great because you're absolutely a natural when it comes to this stuff. So before we get going, I want to first introduce our guests, and I'm probably not going to do a great job with her last name, so she can correct me if she wants to, but it's Christina Mandalakahani, is that close enough? Close enough to be recognizable, thank you. <laughs> well, it's, it's obviously, it's, it's not perfect, but um, Christina, can you pronounce your full name just so everybody in the audience knows exactly who you are? I'm Christina Mandlakiani, and you can imagine with the, the, with the family name like that, I'm quite used to it being shortened, <laughs> simplified, or mispronounced, so it's fine. Okay, well, thank you for joining us on our show. Uh, Christina is the co-founder of Mind Valley, a personal growth and uh, transformational speaker, so we really look forward to having her on the show. And I've seen your website. It's absolutely amazing. And I think you're going to have a lot of great content for us and our audience. And after Christine, we're going to take a little bit of a break and then we'll move to Kenya's power move as usual. And then after that, we're going to have Greg Fisher, who's going to be talking about traveling and getting back in the swing of things in these days of COVID. I'm sure Greg has a lot of great tips for us. And then after Greg, Jessica Jackley from Altruist, and we look forward to hearing about her project as well. But before we get to our distinguished guests, it's time for IP in the news. And so today we're going to feature a very, very, very interesting patent and probably a little bit apropos considering the COVID pandemic. And this patent was issued to the inventor, Robert L. Smenton of Split Rock Avenue in Palms, California. And the application was filed in 1963. So the application is expired now. And if there are any budding entrepreneurs that would like to take on this project, you can do it because the patent is expired. Patents uh, expire 20 years after their filing date. So are, and in this case, and in this time, this patent expired in 1987, so it's well past its prime. But Robert came up with the idea of putting a decorative cover on a syringe. So the pictures in the patent actually show a plastic sleeve in the shape of a bunny rabbit that goes over the syringe. And the reason for doing this is to keep children from uh, being fearful when they're inoculated. So personally, I wonder if that's really going to have the intended effect. I mean, I think that if a kid gets stabbed with a bunny syringe, they're probably going to be living in fear of bunnies for the rest of their life. But maybe maybe the first one won't be so bad. But, you know, afterwards, who knows what kind of effect this could have on kids. So anyway, we thought it was kind of a funny syringe. Kenya, do you have any thoughts on this patent? It's kind of like, what, what's that saying? They put, put the candy in the medicine, I guess. Yeah, a spoonful like of sugar, but it's now evil bunny. <laughs> I mean, I can see the thought process behind it, right? You know, creating that something that's not so great as, as an experience and creating that association with a bunny. But I, I think it could have 
some damaging effects down the line for sure. Well, you know, the other thing that when I was looking at the patent, they had like a solid bunny going over it. So you couldn't see really how much medicine was in the, the <laughs> syringe. So I guess you'd have to draw the syringe and then put the cover on it because otherwise the nurse or doctor is just guessing, I guess, on mm -hmm. the amount of medicine that's going into the kid. So it's not a completely I, I, awful idea. Go ahead, Jessica. You know, I have four kids and um, three of them are of age and could get vaxxed recently. And it just feels like it's in this category of bad parenting, you know, <laughs> like trajectories. So what are you going to do? Lie to them and say, watch the bunny hop over to your arm and then just kidding. Like, I mean, what, what is the dialogue that even happens before this? I think it's not a good idea. You know, it's like here comes the airplane into your yeah, mouth with the food. That's a little different, don't you think? I mean, that, you know, but I don't know. Greg, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think a decorative syringe is fun. You know, anything, anytime that you can personalize an experience for a kid at, at a dentist office or hospital or whatever is good, but putting a character on there will be damaging, you know, because shots are not fun. I mean, you get ask these kids like 9.9 .9 out of 10 are going to tell you they hate them. <laughs> so yeah, I think a decorative is cool, but it's probably going to have to be something that's not going to align with a character or something. Yeah, I'm surprised Disney doesn't have their characters on syringes, right? They're everywhere else. <laughs> Right. Probably so, why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Christina, what are your thoughts? You know, uh, when you were showing this pattern, I, it reminded me of uh, clown-shaped uh, and ice cream-shaped uh, garbage bins in uh, in Ecuador, in one small town that produces uh, ice cream. It was rather creepy to look at. But uh, on a more serious note, you know, maybe it's not such a bad idea to for the kids to be afraid of bunnies. Bunnies can actually bite pretty sharp and painful. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you put like a poisonous snake cover or something on it, it might actually save the kid's life one day or something. <laughs> so very good point. Well, thank you, everybody, for your comments on the bunny syringe. It's off patent now, which means that if you're passionate about this idea, um, despite our opinion, then you can move forward with it and go out and pursue it. So and who knows, you know, maybe somebody will find a way to take the idea and make it a positive thing, which is... Yeah, know, maybe really we could put politicians on them, right? That's hilarious. So um, it's time now for our guest interview with Christina Mandalakini. I'm going to keep working <laughs> on this one. And so nice to have you, Christina. I know that you've been active in the personal transformation space for a while now. And you're co-founder of Mind Valley, which is really a wonderful website. Can you talk a little bit about Mind Valley? Well, Mind Valley is an education platform, and I've been in business for 18 years now. So we are probably one of the most prominent education platforms in the sphere of personal growth and transformation. And we provide education in the areas which are important for your life, for a happy, fulfilled, extraordinary, meaningful life. But uh, obviously, academic education doesn't give you all this knowledge. So it's anywhere from from body and health and nutrition to much more, uh, well, maybe for some people questionable areas, but uh, let's say more, more uh, fringe areas, including uh, even uh, energy work or, or lucid dreaming and things like that. So we, we provide education uh, in person growth and transformation. That's what we do. That's great. How many different programs do you have on the website? It looks like a lot. So it's not just a website. It's a full-on education institution, I would call it. So because we have live events, we have huge live events, I mean, long, uh, and certification programs and, and uh, all sorts of levels of education. Uh, currently, we work with uh, maybe about 50 authors, uh, maybe a little less, depends on uh, how you look at that. We have English-speaking authors, we have other languages as well. Uh, when we have events, then, of course, there are many more going through our stage. So pretty much anybody, any big name in personal growth transformation has either worked with us, done an interview with us, or been on our stage. I was going to say, Mind Valley is huge. I, I actually was introduced to it, I, I would say five or six years ago, and have taken some of the courses that are on there. And it's just, it, it's an incredible platform. And the, you know, the transformation opportunities that you offer for all different types of creative people, I, I think just are close to none that are offered out there. How did you get involved 
initially in co-founding Mindvalley? Like, what was your trajectory towards creating such a platform? Kenya, thank you so much for kind words about Mindvalley, by the way, and for following us for this year, all these years. I got involved in Mindvalley very uh, by accident. So I, I can give the pre-story. Uh, basically, uh, I was born in Soviet Union, so a long time ago. And I was uh, brought up in Soviet Union, and that's a very different kind of world. So it's a country where uh, entrepreneurship was illegal, personal growth was frowned upon. So very pragmatical, very skeptical, and very non-entrepreneurial kind of background. And then I got married to Vision, who is the founder of Mind Valley, the face of Mind Valley in English language. So uh, I moved to New York. Uh, he was on a a foreign visa. I had no no, no uh, way to work in, in America. I was not allowed. So nothing better to do. I was helping him to start the business. That's how it started. But it wasn't my um, like it wasn't my dream from childhood or it wasn't my hobby or anything. I got involved into that by chance. And of course, over years, it grew on me and actually it, it shifted my trajectory into actually taking personal growth as uh, as the work of my life now. So do people really grow? I mean, I'm Mr. Number One Self-Improvement. I'm Mr. Number One Planner. But when we say grow, what do we, I guess, what do we mean by grow? That's a very interesting question. So we do call it personal growth, but generally it's any non-academic education that you require. So anywhere from, from your health questions, of course, you know, body nutrition and fitness and so on, relationships. Uh, we have had programs on and still have programs on, let's say, relationships with money. Uh, but it also has areas which are more spiritual, for example. So <clears throat> when it comes to, to personal growth, I think it's a question that every person has to answer themselves. Because for different people, the growth and transformation is different. Obviously, we take different academic degrees in universities for a reason, because we are different human beings. We have different uh, callings, different interests. So the same with personal growth. It's such a wide niche. You can't really say that, you know, this is the path for everyone. Uh, and um, one, one thing I do want to say, I actually would like us to move away from self-help or, uh, or personal improvement uh, terminology, because uh, I'm a huge... Um, fan of professional help, not self-help. I think it may, may be a self-motivated search for professional help in the areas where you require that help. But helping yourself is not a good idea, especially if it comes to, to any important uh, area in life. Like I, my, my huge passion in psychology, a lot of people actually suffer from anxiety, from depression. And the idea of actually helping yourself with that, that kind of problems is not good. So I believe that our what we do is not self-help in essence. Mm -hmm. It's actually finding professionals who can help people who have problems which are not being solved by academic education. Right. But because you're taking a class and getting more education doesn't necessarily mean you have a problem, right? It can be aspirational too. I mean, I personally feel like I sort of have my act together, although if Elizabeth, my co-host were here, she vehemently disagreed. <laughs> Um, but I'm still interested in, in, in learning yeah. new things. And I, I like to stick my neck out and try different things just because it brings a, a little bit more excitement to my life or I gain new skills. But, you know, if I kind of stopped growing right now, if I stopped doing like that, I'd be fine. You know, we'd have a good <laughs> family life and everything else. The thing is that uh, I like the idea of Harvecker. Uh, he He's more, most known for his millionaire training, my millionaire mind training but he says whatever doesn't grow is dying which in essence like if you look in biology it is true you actually do need to move somewhere the question is a philosophical question is is, is any movement kind of growth or is any kind of growth or transformation is it all for good that's not necessarily so, right? Not every experience will make you stronger, will make you better. So that's that's sure. Uh, another facet of what you were talking about, unfortunately, most people come to personal growth because of big pain. That's unfortunate because, you know, uh, it's, it's like with doctors. People very often come to doctors when it's already so late, it's hard to help. So the same with personal growth. I would, I would wish people actually didn't have to learn how to deal with depression, rather that they were taught emotional, you know, literacy, simple things, how not to fall into depression. 
And of course, if you are into marketing, you know that any marketing of any sphere is usually built and based on pain. So it's no wonder we actually search for people who are in pain because that's how marketing works, essentially. But you are well, absolutely I, I right. Hope our, I hope our passage to profit listeners are not in pain. We uh, certainly <laughs> we certainly wish them the the best, but I, you know, what you're saying is certainly a type of marketing that people pursue. So. I'm not, I'm not talking about any particular marketing. I'm, I'm definitely not talking about ourselves, but in the core of a lot of things that are popular, mm-hmm. there is this pain point, whether it's marketing, which is unfortunately a lot of marketing is built on 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 triggering the pain points. It's the tr- it's truth for edu- uh, for entertainment actually for the news. Mm-hmm. People, people kind of get triggered by by uh, strong emotion. That's why that's why I'm saying. Unfortunately, a lot of people search for help when they're in pain, not because of anything else. Yet, you know, I think we should also move from the idea that I'll I'll learn, I'll get education, and then I'll start living, because that's not how life works. Mm-hmm. We don't. You don't take a shower today, or let's say in January, so for the rest of the year you can be clean. You do it on a daily basis because that's the uh, basic uh, hygiene, you know, physical bodily hygiene. So when it comes to personal growth, I believe that when we stop taking it as something, you know, to prepare for real life and look at it as a lifestyle, then you won't be coming for personal growth out of pain. You will actually do that for for a lot of different reasons, out of curiosity, out of desire to actually maybe expand yourself, maybe uh, find deeper meaning in what you're doing. Or uh, there are so many ways why you might want to learn to keep your brain young. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, having a positive desire is healthy. And so maybe the desire is not imminent, like being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger or something, right, that triggers all of these fear emotions. But you still have to have a desire to move on. And whether it's to solve a small pain, maybe my desires are for small pains as opposed to large pains, but it's, I think what drives a lot of what we do. Kenya, do you have any questions or comments? Yeah, I I was just, I was agreeing with you, Christina, because I I do believe that pain can be purposeful, right? It's always some sort of indicator that something's going on, whether it's something medically or something emotionally, it's really the thing that gets our attention. So I think sometimes we try to avoid getting to that place, but I also... I see your point in, you know, trying to get ahead of that, right? Like not waiting until it's something so prominent or something so painful and kind of being intentional about just getting ahead of what potentially could become problematic later on. So I I totally get where you're going with that. And I also saw that you are an author of a book called Living by Your Own Rules. So I wanted you to uh, to tell us a little bit more about what that means. I do hope that people, uh, regular human beings, learn to love themselves with all their quirks, weirdness, mistakes, imperfections, and not despite them, with them, not despite them, and actually see or find strength in what makes you, you, rather than trying to become something different. And it might sound such a weird concept, considering that I'm one of the co-founders of personal growth and transformation company, but it's not controversial, in fact, because we have, a lot of us have an idea that for you to want to grow, you have to have a problem. Or for you to want to become better, you have to not be satisfied with what you are right now. But it is actually an illusion. That's not how it works. If you know uh, the the simplest thing about depression, one of the expressions of depression is where you are so low, you have no motivation, no energy, no, no interest to do anything. That's when you kind of stop and freeze. So movement is actually our natural movement and growth and transformation and evolution and change is our is in our nature. And I believe that you only want to grow and become better when you're actually at peace with yourself. When you're at peace with your current version, that's when you're ready to actually become something different. So um, another example, uh, one of our students asked, uh, actually, that that was a question given to another teacher, but I'll I'll just uh, retell that story. Uh, She's a psychotherapist. So the, the student asked her, but if I think that I'm good enough, that I'm lovable enough, that I'm, you know, that I'm good the way I am. Am I not going to lie in bed and be complacent and not want to do anything? And her answer was so sharp. She said, you know, you are lying in bed 
and doing nothing, not because you think you're good enough, it's because you're afraid that you're not enough. When you believe in yourself, when you love yourself, when you accept yourself, when you really have the faith in you, that's when you find courage to go and challenge yourself and to do something meaningful in your life. That's why I don't think there is any controversy. And I do believe that almost any, uh, most of the problems that we have with the world, with our environment, with the reality, with politicians, with diseases, uh, they are often the reflection of the problems that we have with ourselves. Once we learn to be at peace with ourselves and accept ourselves, that's when uh, you come to peace with the world. And unfortunately, we have to wind down this segment, Christina, but it's been absolutely fascinating. I really love your insight and perspective on human nature. Where can people find out about Mindvalley? Well, mindvalley.com is where you find about Mindvalley. Perfect. Well, it can't be any simpler than that. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and unfortunately not Elizabeth Gerhardt tonight, but we'll be right back after this message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent trademark and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And embracing our imperfect selves here is Richard Gearhart, and I'd like to welcome my co-host, Coach Kenya Gibson. And I'm very happy to be here. We just had a really great conversation with Christina from Mind Valley, which leads us to our power move for today. So for our first new power move of the year, we're going to talk about Usher. So um, if you've been living under a rock, I'm sure everyone knows who Usher is, right? He's been in the music business for the last two plus decades. And I was just looking at his career. He did some performances in Las Vegas over the, the holiday. And I was just like, God, this guy is so good at like reinventing himself and staying so relevant and, and just staying so up to course. What is his secret to reinvention? And just taking a back look at his career, he always did things simultaneously. Like he always sang simultaneously. He always associated that with doing acting or doing something in the sphere of entertainment that he felt very passionate about. And he never just did one thing at one time. And when I was looking at that, I was like, God, like how hard it would it be to sing and act at the same time? You know, how, how hard would it be to create multiple things at the same time? And he's just really mastered this in a way where he's kept himself very busy and very successful. He's a part owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers. He has his own creative entertainment company that he started years ago where he actually signed Justin Bieber. And that's been the secret to his success is being co-creative and just doing multiple things that he's been super passionate about. And that's really been able to help him stay innovative and really stay at the top of his game. So I wanted to give him power move today because I think that there's something to be said about someone who's accomplished such things. Absolutely. Somebody in the business sphere we can all look up to and who has been successful and made all the right moves. I, I, where all that talent comes from, I'm not really sure, but if I could have just a little bit of it, I'd certainly enjoy having it. So that's absolutely fantastic. 
So now we're on to our presenters this evening, and we have two. The first is Greg Fisher, who's going to be telling us about TripShock. Greg, welcome to the show. Tell us about TripShock. Thanks for having me. TripShock is an online marketplace for activities and tours. We partner with tour and activity rental suppliers across mainly the, the southern U.S., and we sell their tickets and tours to customers. So we're, we're kind of like a, a leg of their marketing. This will be our 14th season. I started the, uh, the company as a young lad at, at 23, uh, went through hurricanes, oil spills, you name it, a red tide, COVID, and we came out actually fairly strong. It's a very interesting travel environment right now uh, with COVID, but there's some really interesting trends that are developing or have been developing domestically, internationally. What are those trends? That's really interesting. It's, it's got to be really interesting to be in the travel business right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's been very, very emotional. Let's just put it that way, from having to furlough employees to getting them back to having record numbers to not knowing what I'm going to do with all the money, you know, that the company made and investments. Yeah, literally it's, it's been the biggest roller coaster in my entire life. You know, it's funny because when I started the business, the BP oil spill hit four months. So as all this oil is approaching the beaches in Florida, where we started, you know, I'm like, okay, well, what do I do next? But this has definitely been uh, way, way more stressful, but what's happening in travel right now is since People are skeptical of cruises and traveling international because of, uh, you know, the COVID restrictions, getting COVID, spreading it. Uh, they're staying domestically uh, in the U.S. And where they're going is they're going to places such as beaches and mountains. And they want to do stuff outdoors. They want to do stuff with just their family and their friends. That has opened up a huge opportunity for people to start side businesses. Uh, they give a huge opportunity for parks and people renting boats and, and jet skis and all, all sorts of things that are outdoor and private. private. So we saw our revenue double from 2019 and 2021 as people came in mass to states in the South or just states just in general that were fairly open, that had you know not crazy restrictions, and they wanted to vacation again like they used to. Mm -hmm. And and I, I'm a firm believer, like, you know, if you're outside, that's the best way to discover and, and travel right now is to be outside with just your family uh, doing things outside. I mean, I do love museums and I, and I do like uh, and all that stuff, too. But at the end of the day, like this is where we're at right now. And this is the way to keep our family safe and also have fun. And and so uh, there's just been an absolute explosion in domestic travel in these in these markets. Uh, and uh, if you just look at um, U.S. Tour Travel Association, they came out with some information. They're not they're saying that uh, the travel industry as a whole is not going to really get back to 2019 levels till 2023. But I do believe that U.S. domestic travel for outdoor markets are still going to have extremely strong growth in 2022. So we're expecting actually a really strong year, especially with Omicron kind of adding another another layer. I was thinking like, okay, if if Omicron didn't hit, maybe we'd we'd be back to you know some some normal see, but I think uh, you know 2022 is going to be probably the same uh, situation where we're going to see more people just traveling domestically and getting in their car and, and driving places where they can go outdoor and just be away from people. Tanya? Yeah, I was going to say, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we've been trying to figure out ways to escape the house for the last two years, like everybody else. And I think, you know, little small family trips and going to the beach and any way that we've been able to disconnect has been super helpful. I mean, there's a lot of therapeutic benefits, even mentally, for what you're talking about in terms of just getting away. Where do you see the connection between, you know, what you're doing and maybe what Christine is do doing with Mind Valley? Because I just think that there's definitely some synergies that are there in terms of like mental health and, you know, travel that people really need right now. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't get to talk with the customers as much as I used to. But just the feedback from a reservations department, they're, when they're talking to customers and they're helping them plan their, their itineraries, it's amazing to hear how many people are like, we've been stuck in our home for you know months and this is just, th this is going to change everything for our families. Like these experiences, when you book travel and you book your hotel, your airline, even though those 
items are very centered when you're planning your vacation, but really it's the experiences you have. It's renting a boat and taking a, a ride through the coast or taking a parasailing trip or going on a tour excursion to see dolphins or whales. Like these are the experiences that you remember from a vacation, not necessarily your hotel, right? Your hotel, you sleep and you eat. So our part of the business, the experiences, I think is the most important part. We have a, an obligation to make sure that we connect travelers with these experiences, especially right now in COVID, because they missed a year or two, like grandma and grandpa missed these memories with their grandkids. So we have an obligation to make sure we connect them with great experiences and make sure they're safe because we do make sure the operators list, you know, their COVID procedures and stuff like that. And, and uh, we don't necessarily force them to, but at least we give the customers information, like, you know, are the staff wearing masks and things like that? So they can make a decision whether or not they want to, you know, go on a tour. Cause we, we do sell some of the larger passenger boats and there's less social distancing. So, you know, they have to take that in consideration, but that's one way we're kind of adapting to this, you know, new normal. I think experiences are amazing because experiences are what uh, actually gives you the transformation, not the knowledge very often. And people sometimes uh, miss that bit. So I think people should chase experiences above all in their life. I totally agree with that. So Greg, you said you noticed definitely a trend more now toward outdoor experiences. Do you have any metrics around that? I mean, has the interest in outdoor experiences grown by a factor of, you know, five or 10%? And then do you think that that will continue to sustain itself, even if the pandemic eventually uh, wanes. So prior to the pandemic, there already was an uptrend in water sports, uh, water outdoor activities. So we had a, a conference in October. We had a analyst, his name Douglas Quimby from Arrival Travel, and he's uh, done a lot of research actually on consumer behavior when it comes to outdoor and water sports. I don't have the exact metric, but his words during the presentation was, this is something I've never seen in travel. The increase from 2019 to 2021, people wanting to do outdoor experiences. And it, it makes a lot of sense because if I talk to a lot of our suppliers that, that do, you know, uh, sailing and, and tour outdoor tours, they all had record record growth. Some of them five, 600 X. I saw their prices go up and obviously we're selling them prices moving up. It was just phenomenal. Like people came in droves, uh, this summer, spring and summer. And the reason why I believe that's going to continue is because there's still people skeptical of traveling, you know, doing cruises. They're still skeptical of going international. Uh, and I think, you know, this, we have one more year of this really strong domestic travel and you know who knows what 2023 could be i do still think it's going to sustain because people people are now they're discovering their backyard like I, I do see comments of people like well we never got in the car and actually drove around to see what was near us and realize there's some cool stuff you know going to the rural areas of, of your hometown and maybe doing um like agrotourism you know visiting farms and buying from local farmers and, and doing that experiences like there's a lot of really cool stuff in our backyard and we just you know had, even, have to do that. don't even recognize it well yeah thanks a lot greg uh, unfortunately we're out of time but we appreciate your insight and also wish trip shock the best where can people find trip shock google tripshock.com and and you can start looking for all the different things that we offer we have about 1500 different tours and 25 different destinations that's great. I'm definitely going to check it out. I mean, we do have a trip coming up in March, but then after that, we're out of ideas. So <laughs> it sounds like Trip Shack would be a great place to get some. So For sure. Thanks a lot. You're listening to Passage to Profit uh, with Richard Gerhart. And unfortunately, my co-host Elizabeth uh, is not here tonight, but we'll be right back after this commercial break. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the Inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, Contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. 
There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. As our final presenter today, we have Jessica Jackley, who is going to be talking about altruists. So take it away. Thank you for having me. So altruists creates at-home volunteer and impact projects for kids and families. 90% of people say that they want to volunteer and only about a third of us get around to doing so. And there are very legitimate reasons for that. It's hard to find opportunities, hard to schedule them, but there's some other more challenging uh, barriers that come up when you want to include your kids, sometimes different age levels, abilities, make it such that it's not even allowed to include your kids when you're trying to go do a traditional volunteer activity. So what we've done is create sort of this everything you need uh, repackaged, sort of reinvented experience where you get to learn, build empathy, do at least one, if not several impact activities, do some learning projects as well, have a donation component, and then sort of wrap it all up with a bunch of do more suggestions so that families can, and they often do, use this as a bridge into deeper involvement. Um, my background is in began with nonprofits. This is my sixth startup, but my very first was a nonprofit called Kiva. And we were one of, we were so fortunate to be right in the beginning sort of wave of crowdfunding way, way back in 2005. And I got to see Kiva grow tremendously over time. I think it just crossed 1.6 billion in loans. And that's in $25 at a time from person to person in these zero interest loans. So I became, I just fell in love with building companies, building organizations, nonprofit, for-profit, whatever. I'm agnostic as to structure. It's tax code, not a religion. You can kind of do good with whatever the vehicle is that you need to get to your destination. But watching Kiva grow really convinced me that it's worth building destructive products and technologies that bet on the good in people. So that's what I'm trying to do again with altruists. Well, that sounds wonderful. And you've devoted your life to charity work. What drew you to this kind of work as opposed to something maybe in the commercial sector? I find it more interesting, most interesting to think not just about, you know, building a little machine that can have revenue, but all of the other ways, all the other bottom lines, if you will, that exist, whether I think we all uh, recognize and name them or not. I worked with a retail bank and basically the product that we sort of tried to uh, launch into the world included this, this feedback where you could swipe your debit card and get a really simplified sort of score, like one to a hundred on the company that you just interacted with. And that score sort of told you, and again, a very simplified way, although there were a ton of data points that fed into this, is this company good or not so good or somewhere in the middle for people and planet. I think companies that aren't thinking about ESG factors, aren't thinking about their social impact are sort of asleep at the wheel and over time will not win uh, because they're not having the most broad and comprehensive understanding of risk and opportunity. So to me, I would like to think that, you know, up until now, a lot of my work has been sort of under the heading of social entrepreneurship. I think we all have an impact, good, bad, or ugly. It's just about understanding, naming it, and following it through, and talking about what you want to do in terms of all the other ways you have an impact in the world, right? Cultural impact, behavioral impact. It's not just social impact in a broad sense. There's a lot of other ways to show up and to create value. There's a lot of other people to serve. And so I find the social sector and nonprofits in particular just so much more intellectually challenging. And it also really aligns and helps me feel like I, I live an integrative life, integrated life where I get to show up every day and spend my waking, working hours expressing values that matter to me. So it feels very, very fulfilling. So which is more important as a social entrepreneur? And the answer can't be both, okay? Which is more important? Is the financial component more important? Not necessarily for you personally, but maybe just for the health of the business. I preemptively disagree with your question. It, it is both, but there is priority. <laughs> There's priority. All right, so what is your priority then or versus the, the social good that you're doing 
by you know implementing these projects? I mean, I think you step back. I teach it. I teach a course at USC uh, called Entrepreneurial Solutions to the Global Goals. And I think if you step back and say, what are we trying to do here? Like, what is the outcome we want to have? That's the first question to answer. What's the change? I mean, and you can. This should be the question I would like to think <laughs> with any any venture, right? What's the What's the vision? What are you trying to get done? After that, it's mechanics. So, so what kind of, I mean, here's, the, here's one of the falsehoods, nonprofits and for-profits both and, and everything in between. There's so many different ways to form a venture, right? It's different language, different words for the same principles. So nonprofits, I've run sustainable nonprofits. That's nonprofits speak for profitable. It's just about mm -hmm. building a machine that can create and capture, you know, deliver enough value and capture value so that it can run and it can feed the engine, right? So it's funny, it's just a prereq. It's not the goal to continue to amass as much of that fuel as possible at all times, at all costs. That's just wrong thinking in my mind. I, I mean, at one point, if you've accomplished your social mission, then would you stop? They you should, or you can, <laughs> once you have the thing running, I mean, there's it's not like there's a shortage of work to be done in the world or things to fix or people to serve. So I would like to think once you get up and running and um, I mean, that's a whole other conversation, right, about mission drift or just pivoting. But the particular thing that I'm just super passionate about right now, you look at the volunteer economy, that phrasing might seem weird, but it's a every, think about this, every year, just in the US, people do overcome those barriers to volunteer and they work their butts off to, to sign up for opportunities and to, are you ready? Give away, okay, give away $300 billion in time and talent and expertise they're giving, they're giving this away. And, and why are they doing that? Because this, there's this, I think, just totally intriguing exchange of value that's happening where people want to contribute to something meaningful. They want to contribute to something bigger than themselves. It feels good. I'm sure that our, our other guests, right? I'm sure that uh, Christina can tell us all sorts of things about the benefits of generosity and giving back. I'm sure that's I mean, if there's not a Mind Valley course specifically on that, I'd love to do that. But <laughs> um, so it's good for us to do this, right? We, it, we do get something out of it, but nobody's really managing that exchange of value. You look at nonprofits, and again, a lot of my background is I've logged a lot of years working with and inside of and starting nonprofits. The job of those entities is to serve the customer they decide to serve. It's very, um, it's a very tall order, not just to parse out what might be useful and helpful for a volunteer to do, but then manage that whole experience over time. Who lives in the middle of this exchange of, of value? Sure. That's where and, we want to live as a company. I just want to hear what Christina has to say. If you have any questions, Christina. Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, actually, before before I went into business, I also dedicated a lot of my time to uh, nonprofits. I prefer that word to charity. Actually, I don't like charity too much, and I've done a lot of different social work around the world for nothing. You can call it altruism, uh, maybe. And yes, Jessica, it's absolutely true. There's a lot of research that shows that altruism is one of the ways to make you feel better. Although I would love to see people not going into charity just to make themselves feel better, but to actually solve problems. What I loved about your presentation is that you brought in the, um, the aspect of uh, economic, uh, economically sound sense in, uh, in nonprofit work. I believe that's something that charity is missing to a great degree. We, we often do it out of guilt, out of some kind of interesting feelings rather than uh, out of trying to solve a problem, out of looking into it as something which, because I've, I've seen uh, marginalized communities. I actually worked with refugees in Asia, everybody, even the most helpless person has dignity. And your dignity as a human being requires you to feel that you're a valuable part of society, which is why I actually don't like the word charity. But uh, a question to Jessica, sorry, I couldn't go on a rant on that because it's, it's a very dear topic to me as well. The question that I want to ask you is from another angle because I'm also uh, on the other side of uh, nonprofit where I am the person who is seeking to donate time, volunteer. We've been doing, uh, we've been making soup with my kids for the homeless people here in Estonia for half a year. And then we found out that we are not needed. So the question is this, when I am on the other side of it, where I want to give, there are two questions that I have. One is when I volunteer my time, that my time is actually meaningful and not just to, for me to put a social media post that I did soup for the homeless people. Right. And the second question is when I give money, how can I make sure that it's not going to go into administration of the charity, but actually do a, like be meaningful donation. So uh, I was just wondering if what you're doing, the altruists, if that, uh, if, if you guys uh, help uh, the other side of, of charity. Yeah. 
uh, these questions. Yes. Thanks. No, that, so to answer your first question, those are great. That's, that's why we exist. We want to make it easier for people to find opportunities. And even during these crazy times when you cannot leave your house, right? We all want to go out and travel and work with trip shock and go go on the adventures that Greg's planning for us when we can when we are stuck inside and or when we have kids that we want to involve it's a big task to translate these difficult issues to an understandable and appropriate you know truthful but not terrifying level for our kids so that's the that's part one of what we exist to do so I hope that we can continue to create opportunities for people to do that at home in terms of your second question if I may be provocative back and and do this I, I think it's the wrong question there shouldn't be a fear of nonprofits compensating their teams well and having administrative costs. Nobody doesn't buy an iPhone because they're worried that some person made too much with their salary. Like we should compensate well, people who are solving problems effectively. It is not a fear of mine. It's not the main thing that I look for. I think it's a, I think it's like a, a nice kind of first metric to look at. And, and I, I, I've seen a lot of people get a little bit obsessed with this number. Like it has to be under, administrative costs have to be under 10%. Why? Why do we have that assumption about this particular structure of an organization? Well, to get I mean, the job that's done? because there was a there was a big hoop to do with the Red Cross a long time ago, sure. which created a, a very negative perception, and then everybody became obsessed with it, probably wrongly, but that was the precursor for that. I hear you. And, I, and in this personal inurement law, I totally get that. I think it's just the beginning of a bigger story around what does a nonprofit exist to do? What are they getting done? What are their metrics? And then let's talk about how much does it cost to get those things done? And do we think that's an appropriate cost or not? That's all. Kenya? No, I mean, I'm just enjoying this wonderful dialogue. You know, it's sometimes we don't get an opportunity to really like dig deep into, you know, causes and, and things that really matter to us. And, and I love what you're doing with your platform and your boxes. And I want to talk a little bit about what someone can expect when yeah. they receive one of your boxes. Oh my goodness, twist my arm. I love to geek out on our products. So as an example, our very first box that we launched was on homelessness. So in this box, again, we talk about these like five steps, but we're trying to communicate in a more simplified way, but we'll, we'll go a little more detail for you. So first there's a learn component. So there's about a thousand words that usually I draft. <laughs> we have a team of folks. Um, getting this content out that and basically has this overview on the issue. Fun facts, not so fun facts, words to know, um, answers to tough questions so that parents don't have to feel intimidated, like, oh, here we go, Pandora's box of like tough stuff to talk about. So we help give parents a guide. And it's this lovely illustrated little booklet that is fun and quick to get through. The second piece is empathy building. Um, in my dream world, <laughs> which I'm trying to create through these things, uh, Everybody takes a minute to like really try their very best from the comfort of their living room, right, to walk in someone else's shoes. So we include stories usually of kids who are experiencing the issue at hand in a very different way than probably most users, most of our customers have experienced homelessness or lack of clean water or whatever else the issue is, you know, food insecurity. So we tell stories. We, we tell real stories of real people who've experienced that. Then there's learning activities and impact activities. Then the impact activity, the volunteer project, if you will, is really the heart of the whole experience. For the homelessness box, kids make a keychain and then they write a little card uh, that they package up and put in our prepaid mailer and send off to our partner. And that keychain and card is given to a family in Mexico right as they're moving into a new home built by our nonprofit partner. So kids and families get to insert themselves into this really sweet, special moment add a little bit of joy and you know sense of community and like this the world's cheering you on <laughs> as people receive this as they have this incredibly important moment in their lives for the food insecurity project kids help decorate a reusable grocery bag that goes to a food pantry that we partner with there's one on saving the pollinators and the box the box always becomes something anyone who has kids knows that's like a thing that's going to happen regardless so the box becomes a pollinator hotel our one that shipped uh, this month and i just received yesterday and did with my kids last night is on energy poverty and the box enables the gift of a solar light to a family in tanzania and kids get to again add a note with that and and there's glow-in-the-dark stickers it's really sweet and fun so there's all sorts of interesting issues and kids get to sort of do something meaningful again is this like moving the needle impact every time sometimes sometimes and sometimes it's an act of kindness and sweetness and most most importantly it's a way to engage and ignite the curiosity in kids and families to start to learn more do more give more there's also a give component and sort of a lot of other resources we provide to make it easy for people to keep taking action sounds absolutely fantastic so how can people find you and your company and yeah. How do they get involved? Please do go to altruists, A-L-L-T-R-U-I-S-T-S, altruists.com. Thank you so much, Jessica. You're doing wonderful work and so good to know you. And Thank we're you. glad our audience got a chance to experience 
your experience. We'll be back right after this. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W. W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. It was a wonderful show, wasn't it, Kenya? It was an amazing conversation. Absolutely, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And leading off was our guest, Christina Mandlachiani, co-founder of Mind Valley Personal Growth and Transformation Company, who does all sorts of fantastic personal growth programs. Uh, you really need to check out the website, www.mindvalley.com, of course. And then after that, we had Greg Fisher, who uh, presented on TripShock. He can be found at tripshock.com, fresh ideas for the travel industry, and really Uh, making travel available even during these difficult pandemic times. And finally, Jessica Jackley, who presented for Altruis, a unique company that allows families and children to participate in volunteer work remotely. So really a great idea and hopefully positive change and kindness to the world. And of course, our very own Kenya Gibson, iHeartMedia Maven. Uh, where can people reach you, Kenya? Kenya Gibson with a P-G-I-P-S-O-N at iHeartMedia.com. Right. But before we go, Christina, do you have a few final words for our audience? Well, we had a conversation on so many interesting and good topics. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll finish with uh, a quote, which is very dear to me. <laughs> I want to quote uh, Oscar Wilde. I think he's a genius when it comes to funny and, and very sharp quotes. You know, love for yourself is the beginning of a lifelong romance. So I guess my point is, you know, sort out your relationship with yourself, fall in love with yourself. I think it's going to make the world so much better for everyone, actually. What a great sentiment. Kenya? That was a great quote. I don't know. I don't think I can top that. (laughs) But I too enjoyed this conversation. And I, I would say the one thing that you all have in common with your platforms and what you're contributing is solving the world's problems, right? You know, I think about what Christina is doing with Mind Valley and the professional and the personal transformation that happens on that platform, you know, and Greg with Trip Shock, you know, you have over 1,000 plus options for families to escape and spend some time together, which I know is really incredibly important during this time. And Jessica, with what you're doing with Altruist, you know, teaching empathy is not always the easiest task. And I think what you're doing with your platform and your boxes and how you're connecting causes to children and to families is incredible. So I just wanted to say thank you to you all for your contribution to society because what you're doing is super important. And unfortunately, we have to sign off now. Thanks to our audience for listening. We love you. And we'll be back again next week with another Passage to Profit episode. I'd like to thank our producer, Noah Fleischman, our program coordinator, Alicia Morrissey, our video editor, Chatterboss, and the whole iHeart team. And I I am making a public wish to my wife, Elizabeth Gerhardt, that you get better soon. That's it for us tonight. You're listening to WOR 710, the voice of New York. <laughs>